Hello and welcome to another episode of the Triumphs of Africa. We are happy that you are here. In this episode, we talk to Mrs. Stella Osamo, author of the Princeton accredited book, Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage, which explores the odyssey of a young mixed race woman in the 60s. This discussion explores the following. How mixed race people can have a deeper appreciation of their African roots and heritage. The beauty and importance of African identity, specifically Ghanaian identity. And finally, the book's relevance in 2021 today. Let's listen to the discussion. Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage was written in response to the unpleasant racial experiences of very close family and friends. And when I witnessed this firsthand in Britain, I was staggered because I assumed that because their heritage partly rooted in English Scottish, Irish nations of Britain, as well as Africa, that they granted some modicum of acceptance as opposed to people who had nothing to do with um, British heritage whatsoever and uh, entirely African. To my um, surprise and horror, that wasn't the case. And sometimes you actually... Um, had anecdotes, you know, from best friends that the resentment towards them was worse than what Africans, you know, experience in terms of racism. And so I was very troubled by this and I decided to put pen to paper. And in the course of writing Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage, I whittled down to the issues of where best would it be uh, to raise a child of mixed racial heritage they are a lot better in Africa as opposed to Britain so these are some of the issues you know that I examined in the book Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage and so to answer your question directly I wrote the book in response to the racism which a close family and friends experienced well that's well, that's, that's uh, quite interesting. Um, on the issue of whether what their experiences were, I think personally that perhaps there is a perception from the white perspective, I may use the word guardedly, that those ladies or men who break out are more or less letting the side down and they feel that uh, the children that come up are not something they, they were anticipating or expecting and they feel a bit let down. However, on the question of where they can be raised better, I know that in Africa, the issue of white or black does not really arise. A child is seen as a child and belongs to the family. I think more importantly is true that there is no racial classification as you find, say, in Britain, where you're asked questions, are you white, are you black, are you white of Irish or whatever else, are you black Caribbean or black British and so on and so forth. 
you know so those kind of classification seems to segregate people uh, albeit unintentionally i know that it's said that that's such of such classifications are used for statistical purposes and for equal opportunity purposes but uh, it sticks somehow yes i appreciate what you're saying but the thing is that as the daily graphic categorically backed up in its review you mean the ghanaian yes the, the it's a, i think ghanaian yes, publication it's a ghanaian leading quality newspaper the lady who did the review uh, caroline botang said she particularly felt that silhouettes of a treasured heritage had important lessons for children to imbibe in terms of racial tolerance in terms of tribal tolerance in terms of ethnic tolerance and in terms of accepting people for who they are and having an appreciation of the fact that to be different is not to be wrong and that diversity is a good thing and so therefore silhouette of a treasured heritage in its ambitions espouses they you know that people should in general be be tolerant we should as martin luther king and in some of the passages that come to my mind now he was saying that we cannot be separate spiritually separate in a world that is geographically held together we either all swim together or we sink together you know there's there's something in the cosmos that requires you know for us to enjoy the world a lot better if this tolerance you know of the differences you know that uh, surround us and that diversity is a beautiful thing well um yes i agree with you there but uh, coming back to the book the heroine miranda had issues with her identity who am i am i white or black her experience in the primary school for example when she was given to believe that she was different from others it was quite i dare say shocking because at that age you wouldn't have thought that children would uh, worry about the different but it was that start that she thought of bleaching her skin yes it is shocking i mean when you some of the anecdotes you know that mixed race individuals and their parents you know recount uh, your heart breaks especially for the children who uh, unfortunate victims you know of um, the racism you know that is meted out or resentment that um, is meted out to their parents you know for having uh, the audacity you know to move out of their own culture their own race and embrace somebody else wedlock you find that it is very traumatic for these children particularly my own experience in the united kingdom was that it's a trauma that constitutes a crisis you know and it's a trauma that you really empathize with them because you have a situation where invariably they see themselves they gravitate towards their white heritage but the institutions see them as black so where do they go you know you 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 you're seeing yourself as something entirely different from what the racial institutions you know are telling you you are and then you fill the forms you know some of them they fill the forms and they call themselves white and they are instructed no you you actually are black you know and so that creates a crisis for a young child yeah crisis of identity crisis of identity and so it's heartbreaking 
and most of their childhood right into adolescence they keep asking themselves you know where exactly do they belong whereas um in africa as you rightly said in spite of the issues we have tribalism ethnic differences ethnic conflict when it comes to children and acceptance of invariably the child is seen as belonging to the community and you also have a situation whereby a person is accepted on the basis of their character rather than anything else it's it's probably later on in adult life you know or in for political reasons or for socioeconomic reasons that the question of okay what particular part of the country do you come from you know crops up but when it comes to children is essentially and when it comes to the community raising up its children you don't have a situation where somebody who is partly of another racial heritage or of another tribe or another ethnicity is rejected on the basis of having a dual heritage you know especially if the child proves to be in terms of its character an asset you see because at the end of the day human resource is a tremendous asset for us for the community yes you're right actually with the experience of some of the people that i have met in my career hospital i find that uh, there are significant or serious mental health issues that we see fortunately it's not as rampant as it used to be say in the 70s because i think the social services have cottoned on to the impact of, of such behaviors on these children and have done quite a bit of work to ameliorate the impact that discrimination in that respect has on the children however coming back to the book again i see from the book that miranda's paternal grandmother was significant in helping her to be comfortable with her identity can you tell us a bit more about that yes what one wanted to do there was to lag up that wise godly grandparents could potentially play in the upbringing of a child who has a racially mixed um, parentage and Miranda's um, Scottish grandmother uh, rose up to the occasion and she was a very generous grandmother she allowed Miranda feed on her strength she allowed Miranda feed on her wisdom these are all ingredients of loving its varied facets you see but at the end of the day um she invested uh, a lot in Randa in terms of emotional support and the dividends were huge and as is often said love conquers all you know and at the end of the day what children need more than anything else in their nurturing is love and acceptance and there it's not rocket science it's just um doing to a child what you yourself would want other people you know to do to you and just empathizing with the child putting yourself in the shoes of the child and just being there you know yes i actually was very impressed by the role she played i remember the anecdote that uh, you used using a piano the keyboards of a piano as a way of giving her succor and comfort that when one plays with just the black 
he's alone, the music is not quite what it is. And if you played with the white keys alone, the music is not quite what it is. However, if you use the black and white keys, you get a melodious tune, which I think gave her strength and helped her through her primary school years. And she was able to, of course, move on to our secondary school and struck a good relationship with her friend Beverly, who accepted her for who she is. Beverly, who's of Irish heritage, yes. um, whose parents lived in Dublin. Yes, and that was a steady relationship and the relationship that actually helped in the healing subsequently. So that's interesting. But then she moved on to actually strike a more permanent relationship with Beverly's brother, who happened to eventually become her husband. Anyhow, so would you think that you achieved what you aim to achieve? I think that uh, perhaps this question is, uh, I'm running ahead a bit of myself, but part of Miranda's experience, uh, boyfriend Rory, who became her husband eventually, offered a suggestion that uh, she took up to visit Africa. And that was something that I think was significant in her becoming a rounded person at the end of it all. Absolutely. Because uh, Rory advised her, you know, that in this uh, voyage called life, it's a voyage of discovery and that it was important for her to exercise courage, you know, and go for herself to know what her African heritage and what Africa was all about. Because, for instance, you cannot appreciate music from a particular culture unless you go there and see how they respond to the music, how the music is, is used. And there's certain aspects of people's traditions and cultures that you cannot fully understand and you cannot fully appreciate until you actually go there. You have to go to the land of Eskimos to know that uh, it is extremely cold there. But having said so, for you to be able to have a deep appreciation of the culture of a people you need to visit and you need to go there firsthand to see how they interact with various elements, you know, that constitute their culture. For instance, as I, I the example I gave earlier of music, you know, you can't say you truly would be able to appreciate Ghanaian uh, music and Ghanaian, the huge drumming skills, unless you actually visit Ghana. And which was what, what Miranda did, and it was tremendous catharsis for her. And she was staggered at the acceptance, the love, and the open and genuine affection, you know, that uh, mother's people extended to her she was staggered by yes her trip to ghana was quite a healing project if i may call it that she became aware that she has a heritage that she wasn't aware of her identity became robust she discovered uh, her mother is of the royal heritage and she has a huge family that she never knew existed and all the love the attention the acceptance and so on and so forth that she received while she was there was quite a healing experience as juxtaposed to what her experience of rejection in her earlier years were and that portrays on the point i was making earlier the beginning that in africa the issue of 
color doesn't really arise. A child is a child to the family and a child to the community, irrespective of color. So that was a good experience. Yes, I must say that indeed it was crucial for her to make that journey. And Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage is also a celebration of all that is best in Ghanaian culture. And the generosity of her mother's people was something that actually rescued her when eventually she faced and experienced the trauma of losing her parents suddenly, you know, in, in the United Kingdom. Oh, yes. And yes, so that was something that I think she would have probably fallen apart if she didn't have that endorsement. That was know, the from, second time she went to yes, Ghana. Yes, yes. If she didn't have that support and endorsement from her mother's people, she definitely would have fallen apart. And so, therefore, it was important for the text to suggest very clearly, you know, that mixed race people who don't reach out to both sides of their heritage are kind of shortchanging themselves. And furthermore, you also had the prose that also made it abundantly clear that everybody who left the shores of Africa, be they as students or even as far back as are those who were taking away as slaves into the diaspora, that they were treasured, you know, they were treasured. Somebody mourned them, somebody uh, um, longed for them. And so the ambitions of the book, as you're saying, although the jury is still out there in terms of whether it has realized its ambitions, uh, was to make Africa's sons and daughters in the diaspora, any and whichever way they left the continent and any and whichever permutation their heritage might take, is that the continent loved them and still desires them. And it was touched upon in the text and it also touched upon the fact that Africa's heritage is a rich, beautiful one, her hidden history goes back way beyond the slave trade and goes back to Nubian times when uh, people of Negroid features ruled ancient Egypt and were the pharaohs of old. So therefore, the reasons for writing Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage are many. They are multifaceted and as I said, the jury is still out there in terms of whether the ambitions have been realized or not. Well, yes, it is uh, a very interesting book. I recall at an event when certain portions of the book was read to the audience, there was a young student who came up to say, oh, that book is about me. I could relate wholeheartedly with what I heard, which is true. I also recall a program on BBC4 where uh, this topic of this nature was discussed and I wished that you were invited to the program because I felt that you would have had useful contribution to make apart from the fact that uh, reading the book in itself would help so many adults who are in such relationships as well as children who are consequences of such relationships. Yes, an anecdote about the effect of uh, the book on Africans who are in the diaspora. I remember there was a delegation. The book was presented to Reverend Jesse Jackson when he came on a civic visit to Manchester. And I remember there was another delegation that came 
And there were people of note. They were from the... From Alabama? Yes. I don't know. I think they were church leaders from the deep south in America. And I remember that I read a prose, you know, the prose about the fact that every person who was taken away from the shores, you know, was was mourned and was cherished. And one of them actually broke down in tears. He was extremely emotional. And so I think it is also a book that speaks to African-Americans, Africa's children in the diaspora. And contrary to what probably may have been said to them, the continent cherishes them. The continent has cherished them and continues to do so. But the central theme, however, is on children of mixed racial relations and that was why Princeton University for instance had it on its reading list because it was a recommended text for a freshman's course social science freshman's course on mixed race relationships and as as you said in your intro it sat alongside Barack Obama's uh, book stories my father told me It was also used by the Qualification and Curriculum Authority in Britain who under a project called Who Do We Think We Are that was organized by the Geographical Society of Britain. Uh, There was a project in which they were having to come to terms that the fastest segment of society, uh, the fastest growing segment of British society was that of mixed race people and they decided to face the issues squarely and admit that it was inexorably important to admit and to come to the stark realization that Britain is a racially diverse society. And so they had this project and the silhouettes of a treasured heritage was on the basis of that lacked up the project made a recommendation to the QCA to use it in the teaching of Britain's modern cultural history. So those are recommendations that are important. And of course, finally, you also had the Ghana Ministry of Education endorsing it for what they call second cycle schools. But normally everybody knows that Ghana has a function and a desire to harness and uh, make her human resource robust, just as she has reached out in the past to African-Americans to come back home to build Africa and take her into the 21st century. Similarly, they are through this kind of exercise also endorsing that Ghana's children who are mixed race, like Miranda, the protagonist of Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage, should um, definitely see themselves as being very welcome to come and be a part of Ghana of the future. And so you have those ambitions, you know, being fostered in the work, in the text. And it's very important here to say it's tremendous kudos to the Ghanaian government to recognize the fact that, like for instance, a country like Japan has no natural resource other than superior human resource that has made her become an extremely wealthy and powerful nation. The same thing Israel. Israel has virtually no natural resource to brag about other than superior, highly educated human resource that has made her um, the successful uh, nation that she is. Coming back to the book again, I see that Miranda subsequently graduated as 
a medical practitioner and chose to study surgery and moved to the United States with her husband, Rory, who already was a postgraduate student in immunology. Interestingly, she found herself living and working in Harlem, helping to manage the health of African-American community in Harlem, where she found that there was much need to support the community with her skills. But also she became more or less an activist because I think her experience over the years has firmly affixed her into the black community. She began to see herself as as black, uh, which is something she was told right from childhood and felt more comfortable perhaps as uh, someone who has been accepted uh, as such, uh, felt comfortable working with meager resources within that community. Is there a comment you want to make on that? Or Yes, as you rightly said, she felt she needed to align herself to the plight of needy black people in places like Harlem. And I don't know if you saw the beating in the book where husband Rory, you know, made, made the point that invariably it's important to for people to know that when people suffer, that there's always something each and every one of us can do. There's always something you can write a song, you can write a book, you can, as in the case of Miranda, you know, she volunteered her time, her energy, her effort in uh, working with the Baptist Mission, who had a hospital in Harlem, and she made her own contribution. So essentially that beat you flagged up is just to convey the message that when the world is in need and when people are in need and when there's a crisis or when there's something to be righted in the world, that there's always something every each and every one of us can do. And as the saying goes, that all that is needed for evil to prevail in the world is for good people to do nothing. We all have the capacity to do something. As I said earlier, you can write a book, write a song. And as in the case of Miranda, she went to work in Harlem. And so that probably is um, the best explanation I can give for a decision you know, to go to that part of America and uh, pay her dues. Well, that's interesting. I just wanted to make a comment on some of my experiences uh, meeting or dealing with people of mixed parentage. As a surgeon, I've come across uh, quite a number of patients of that background with unique uh, medical conditions. And I know that today uh, racism does seem to have a a significant role to play on mental health issues. Isn't to suggest that all children of mixed parentage uh, have that issue, but one would surmise that there are different manifestations of racial discrimination which one sees. One, for example, brings calls to mind is that a chap who was a highly positioned social worker make racial heritage who felt that he wasn't hearing very well but his hearing test was normal but then when you engage in a long discussion he doesn't seem to follow what you're saying and uh, and he speaks good english 
until a diagnosis of auditory processing disorder was made. And that's partly because his brain was very distracted by other things that are not verbalized. So that's one. The other is there have been people who who present with a significant issue of self-identity. But then, as we, as a book has suggested, where love has a role to play and there is the possibility of making one feel assured, confident, accepted, that they get to know who they are and accept themselves for who they are, they do as well as anybody else. We know of significant people within the British community who are of that background today as a consequence of all the good work that has taken place within the social services and mental health institutions, giving them adequate support. I know too that there is a famous poet in Russia whose name is Alexandra Pushkin. Pushkin was a a poet in his heydays. He, He happened to have mixed racial parentage as well. His mother being somebody from Ethiopia. Yes, I was actually going to ask you questions in that regard because it's something I've often been very curious about and I'm sure quite a lot of our listeners too would be keen to know what the lot of mixed race children is in places like Russia and Eastern Europe, what the thinking is in those places, I mean, in terms of their philosophy, how do they regard mixed race relationships and the um, children that come out of such relationships, how do they fare there? My experience really was during the communist era. You would probably not know that racial discrimination was a crime in those days because the then Soviet Union had multi-ethnic communities, people from the south, from Georgia, from Pakistan, from Russia, Kyrgyzia, places like that. So there were different nationalities under the umbrella of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. So people of different nationalities interacted. And um, there were, of course, children of people who came as foreign students. There wasn't any palpable issues of difference. In fact, many of the children are seen as dolls and (laughs) they tended to admire them and perhaps unwittingly see them as a gift. But I couldn't comment on what would have happened to them as adults because we know that when it comes to issues of discrimination, it's not usually obvious at a lower level as much as it is at a higher level where some of the issues are insidious and not spoken. Would you think that a book like Silhouettes of the Treasured Heritage, would it offer something along the lines of a catharsis? or mixed-race people, probably as couples or as mixed-race individuals themselves, do you think they will find comfort? Without doubt. I mean, that's why the likes of Princeton University adopted it as a reading text. That's why the Qualifications Curriculum Authority adopted it as a reading text. And um, having read the book myself, I think that it would help a lot of people of that background. It will help a lot of adults who go into such relationships to be aware of what may or may not happen. 
but also give them ways and means to cope with any shock that they may get and also educate them on how to help support the children. The point you made earlier about having a recognition of both sides, i.e. acceptance of the father's heritage or the mother's heritage, whichever they may be, it's a point. In Miranda's case, her visit to Africa initially was very healing. And when she suddenly lost her parents from car accident, she found that the place to run to for succor was back to Africa. And she ran back to her people in Ghana and she was helped significantly. And she lived in Ghana for about three years with her husband, Rory, after which she decided to go to live and work in the United States. Okay, if I could push you further, where would you think a mixed race child will best blossom? Well, I think you know what my answer is. As I said earlier, in Africa, there is no racial classification in Ghana or in Nigeria or places like that. A child born to a family, whether he or she is of a mixed parental heritage, is irrelevant. The child belongs to the family and the family sees that child as their child and bring them up. Uh, socially, there is no social or ethnic classification. Are you white or black? That does not exist. I have an acquaintance whom I was talking to not too long ago, who is of uh, mixed uh, racial heritage. Her uh, father is uh, Scots and her mother is Nigerian. And I was asking her where she grew up. And she said she grew up in Nigeria. And I said, was there any issue with discrimination? And she said, discrimination? No. And she's as Nigerian as, uh, as, I, as I am. She speaks Nigerian. She eats Nigerian. She breeds Nigerian. She cracks Nigerian jokes. She dresses Nigerian. And I cannot imagine her living anywhere else. Yeah, I know, but, I know you have. But um... the point to, point to make, even if she goes elsewhere... I don't think, I think she will be seeing herself as Nigerian, you see. But I'm not sure whether that could be said of somebody who was raised in England. I might be wrong. They may see themselves as English, but there will be an aspect of their self-confidence that probably may be wanting. Because in my language, they, there's this saying that know who you are, you see. So I think that there was no question in her mind of who she is or who she was when she was growing up, as opposed to a child who probably grew up in England okay. uh, of mixed racial heritage. If I, if I may take advantage <laughs> of your analytical progress in terms of the vast human resource that mixed race people constitute for both their white and their black heritage. Do you think African governments particularly, do you think they stand a lot to gain from the inclusion of mixed race people in the socioeconomic growth of the continent. Jerry Rollins comes very readily to mind and he, of course, is one that everybody knows. Uh, eventually became uh, head of state of Ghana and uh, 
and um, I think his father was Scottish and his mother Ashanti. If I'm, if well, I'm I wouldn't use the word inclusion because uh, there is no issue of exclusion, you see. Those of mixed racial heritage that grew up in Africa see themselves equally as independent and free as anybody else. And the sky is their limit. They hit to hit their best. So the likes of Jerry Rawlings, late Jerry Rawlings, whom you mentioned, was not included. He was a military executive who found himself needing to improve the lot of his country, Ghana, and worked to become who he became and made a difference in the lot of Ghana. We have so many children of mixed racial heritage in different, say, Nigeria, who are in business, high executives, not because of who they are, because of their achievement as individuals. There are senators, members of the House of Representatives who are in such positions, not again because they were given any preferential treatment or any element of tokenism, but because of the fact that that's who they are. You see, I know Nigeria is a unique place when it comes to things like that. Anybody can aspire to become president of the country, and our need to achieve is not restricted in any way by your background. You're you're right from childhood, you're made to believe that the sky is the limit. You can achieve what you want to achieve if you set your mind to it, you see. Yes, because I I remembered um, in first edition, I actually paid tribute to mixed race um, people as constituting a breach between the races. You then say to yourself, why do uh, places like Britain do, why do they not see them as a tremendous resource and ambassadors who could act as bridge between the races and make the world a better place? So potentially, you know, they're poised to make the, the world a more tolerant place. If the gem they constituted is recognized. Now, finally, probably... Before you you leave that, um, I I think that the countries in question that you mentioned who were heavily involved in the days of slave trade had generations of experience and have actually used children of mixed racial heritage in key diplomatic positions over the years. Maybe their numbers are not huge, but uh, they have been, without mentioning specific names, people who have served as ambassadors to different countries in, in Africa, in the United Nations, both from the United States and from the United Kingdom. There are ministers who have come from that background, who have made their contribution as well. I think they are aware of it and where such personalities uh, rear their heads are actually used and yes, because, as good ambassadors, as you've said. Because in the United Kingdom, for instance, I know uh, that there are two conservative opinions, you know, some who call themselves Eurosceptics and some who, that Britain's imperialist, you know, heritage is a huge asset which she should not disregard.
or undermined or or in any way cast away, you know, because it, once upon a time she ruled uh, one quarter of the world and so gives her an edge, uh, an enviable edge over so many other countries in Europe. I mean, she ruled India as Empress of India, Queen Victoria, and of course, much of the English-speaking uh, parts of Africa, you know, was under her sway, South Africa, and so many other countries in Africa. And of course, you have Canada, and you have Australia, and, and then you have New Zealand. And so, therefore, you have a situation whereby she, she, she needs uh, uh, ambassadorial representation, you know, through human resources, you know, such as existing mixed race people, you know, to, to continue to have that kind of goodwill. 25% of the world, it's a huge kudos, it's a huge advantage, and it, it gives her tremendous might. Well, I, I must congratulate you on the, uh, the writing of the book. I think the book has tremendous contribution to make on this subject. I think that both adults who become involved in such relationships as well as the children who are outcomes of such relationships will benefit tremendously from reading the book. I also think that uh, institutions would benefit from uh, exposing children to the, the, the text as the qualifications curriculum authority had intended uh, and decided, as well as uh, what the Ghana government uh, is doing currently uh, with uh, making the book uh, a reading text for uh, second cycle uh, students or, or secondary school students. So I think that uh, you've uh, done well and congratulations should not go amiss. And I want to wish that uh, you continue to make uh, your thoughts and your skills available. I recall your other book, Triumph of the Water Lily, which you wrote also a social science issue which uh, ended the book recognition and was used as a reading text by the Joint Admissions and Matriculation Board in Nigeria for several years. So kudos to you and congratulations again. Thank you very much. And, uh, thank uh, you for giving us your time and we hope that we'll have you again on this program. Before I go, I must have say a huge uh, thank you to the Chancellor of Coventry University, Dr. Margaret Casely Hayford. She's a dame of the British Empire now, and she's given tremendous endorsement to Silhouettes of a Treasured Heritage. Her forward was very stirring, and I owe her a, a debt of gratitude. And she's Ghanaian, and she gave tremendous endorsement to the book. Thank you very much for having me on the program. And as I said earlier, uh, it's always a delight to be on Trans of Africa. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Triumphs of Africa. Now, your opinion matters. Therefore, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us via email at thetriumphsofafrica at gmail.com. That's thetriumphsofafrica at gmail.com. We would love to hear what you thought of this current program and we'd love for you to contribute to the conversations that we've been having. Thanks so much.
Take care.